It's a really old movie. Probably most of us today have never seen it, at least the whole thing, though almost all of us know what it's about and we've heard of it. We recognize many iconic scenes from it. It was released actually in 1939 and the movie is called The Wizard of Oz. Maybe you do remember the climactic scene when Dorothy clicks her heels, those heels of those ruby slippers three times repeating, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. And there really is no place like home, right? Everyone longs for home. Home is the place where you belong, the place where you are loved, the place where you can relax, the place where you can be you. And for some of you, home is near. For others, it's far away. And honestly, for some of us, we kind of feel like we really don't have a place that we can call home. The Bible tells us that we do have a home in Christ and that heaven is our true home. Maybe you remember Jesus told his disciples the night before his death, I am going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And that place is heaven. And as we've been studying together these last couple of weeks, it is a real place. And what we're going to talk about today is when we get there, we will be home. Finally, home. Now, this is the third week of our series, Heaven. And last week, if you were here, you'll remember we studied the intermediate heaven, what theologians term the, the heaven as it is today. And today we're going to be thinking together about what the Bible teaches about the ultimate heaven, the, the place where God's people, those who know Jesus, will spend eternity. The Bible teaches that heaven is our true home. But can we talk, can we be honest this morning? We sometimes feel ambivalent about that, right? Anybody find themselves thinking, you know, I want to go to heaven, but not yet, right? Not yet. Now, one Sunday in a kid's class, the teacher asked the kids just to raise their hands if they wanted to go to heaven, and every child but one raised their hand, and the teacher was surprised. The teacher said, you don't want to go to heaven. And the child's reply was almost tearful. No, I want to stay here at my house. (laughs) And we get that because sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes we feel like that because we have some misconceptions like we've already talked about, misconceptions about heaven that can keep us from longing for heaven, from, from setting our hearts and setting our minds on things above like Paul commands us in Colossians 3. So today we're going to try to clear away some fog and we're going to try to get a clearer view of heaven, our eternal home, because I do believe that when we get a, a real understanding of what God's word teaches about heaven, we cannot help but grow in our longing for heaven. Because it is true, it is only when we get to heaven that we will finally be at home. So I'm going to give you, as we jump into this, uh, some key ideas for understanding our internal home before we dig into our study of the last two chapters of the Bible, which is where we find the clearest description of heaven, our, our ultimate eternal home. There's two sets of ideas, some brief statements I want to give to you, so they'll, they'll kind of frame this for you. And the first set begins with this statement. We need to remember that heaven is where God dwells. We need to keep that in mind. Whatever else we say, whatever else we think about heaven, heaven is God's 
home first and foremost. And, and then next, we, we need to remember that God made us for himself, that he loves us, he wants to be with us. You know, I, I like watching shows like Planet Earth. Do you like to watch any of those kind of shows? And the reason I do, honestly, is mainly because it causes me to worship. I mean, I worship when I see the beauty, majesty of God's creation. And one of the things that I'm always reminded of when I watch a show like this is that God has created certain species for certain environments, specific animals for specific places. You know, some can only thrive in the desert and some can only thrive in the rainforest. Some can only thrive uh, in the ocean, some only on land. Well, here's the truth. God made people to thrive on earth. You ever thought about that? Earth is the home that God designed for us. And then the third idea that I want you to hold onto is that one day God will bring heaven to earth forever. You see, God loves us and wants to be with us so much that one day he's going to bring his home to the home that he created for us. Heaven and earth will come together. That's what eternity is going to be about. Now, I showed you last week that when you study what the Bible says about heaven, you need to keep in mind these three eras of, etern- of, of humanity in relationship to God, and all of these have something to do with the earth. I, I showed you this chart last week. I want you to look at it again. You'll remember there's the original earth. This is Eden, the garden. It's described in Genesis 1 and 2, perfect environment. Heaven is above, but God comes down, and he visits man, and he walks and talks in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and, and Eden would have been breathtaking, Trees and animals and fruit and and beauty, no sin, complete openness, transparency, love between God and people. That's how God's creation started. But then there's the next era we see, and this is in the Bible covered by Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 20, and this is where we live now. It's the story of fallen man and a fallen earth. Sin enters the world. People rebel against God's loving lordship. We want our own way, and thus death enters, and creation is corrupted. You see, sin not only impacted people, but it impacts God's creation. You can read about this in Romans 8, where Paul writes about the whole creation groaning, longing to be restored. Yes, that's why we have hurricanes and floods and tsunamis and tornadoes and cancer. All these things that did not exist in Eden did not exist in God's creation. This just changes everything. And as we saw last week, it's during this period of time God dwells with his people in what theologians call the intermediate heaven, that this is what heaven is right now. And it's during this era, of course, that God is working out his plan of salvation to to redeem mankind. He sends his son, Jesus, second person of the Trinity to earth. Jesus lives a perfect life. He reveals God the Father, what he's like. He dies on the cross to pay for our sins, to break the curse, and God raises him from the dead. And then for 40 days, Jesus shows himself alive to more than 500 witnesses in his resurrected body. And he's telling them what the future is going to hold and that he was their hope, that whoever would believe in him would receive the free gift of salvation. And then third, in the future, God will restore everything, including us, including, don't forget, the earth. 
This is the last two chapters of the Bible, and this is what we're going to look at today. And what we see today is that heaven will actually come down on a new earth that God has restored and God has renewed so that God can be with us, so that we can thrive once again like we did in Eden on that first earth. This is the forever earth. This is the forever heaven. So with that as the backdrop, keeping those ideas in mind. I want to talk about what heaven will be like, what it will be like one day, one day when God brings heaven to earth, when God brings heaven to earth. Do you understand that, that heaven, the Bible teaches, will be on earth? See, Revelation 21 and 22 tells us the new heaven will actually come down on the new earth. And, and what we're going to study as we go through these two chapters is uh, something of what this new earth will be like and something of what our lives will, will be like on this new earth. And this leads me to the second set of key ideas. The Bible tells us two things that we need to understand uh, about our eternal home. And here's the first one. God will resurrect and glorify our bodies. See, something happens to you before you make it to this new earth. God's going to give you a resurrected body. When you die, you're going to be with Christ. Um, if you die during this current era, but at the end of time, God's going to resurrect the bodies of all who know Jesus Christ. And we were taught about this in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to look there, there's a whole section that we don't have time to look at this morning. Paul's talking about the resurrection. Is it true? What's it going to be like? What kind of bodies will we have? And I just want you to notice one verse, verse 35, where he's giving this defense of the resurrection. He says, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And Paul's going to go on to say um, that when a seed is planted, what comes up later isn't like the seed. He says we recognize this in the creation of the world. Um, as we live, seeds get planted, they come up something different. He says, so our physical bodies die. And he's telling us that just like in nature, when you're resurrected, you will have a different kind of body. Anybody vote for a different kind of body? New body, not the one you got right now. You would, you know... Paul goes on, and this is a, it's a complicated passage, and you have to read it carefully, but if you do, you'll understand it. He explains how the first Adam, our ancestor, had a physical body, and then he talks about how the last Adam, which is Christ, how God raises him from the dead. He brings eternal life, and Paul says we understand resurrection like this. The first Adam died. He had a physical body. When we're resurrected and we're in Christ, we know Christ, then we're going to have resurrected bodies as well, and they're going to be like Christ. You say, what's my body going to be like? Well, the, the, the best evidence you get in understanding that is look at Jesus after his resurrection. And when you look at Jesus, you see that he, he walked around. He had a real body. It was physical. He told people to touch him. He ate food, but he had some supernatural abilities. You remember, he kind of, he just like appears in the room sometimes. I don't know, he goes through doors or walls. I, I don't, we're not really sure, but he's in one place, and then all of a sudden he's in another. But the real point is that he had a real body. It was a body you could touch. It was physical. He wasn't floating around. He wasn't a spirit. See, the Bible says God's going to resurrect and glorify your body. It'll be something new. But it's not going to be completely different. You're still going to look like you. And I know that's a disappointment for some of us. but 
But we know that because Jesus in his resurrected body looked like Jesus. They, they recognized him. And the Bible actually tells us this. Are you, have you read this in the Bible? Have you seen this? The Bible says in heaven, where Jesus is now ascended to the right hand of the Father, he's still a human being. He's still a man. He will always be a man. He's t- taken on in the incarnation uh, who we are as God's creation, men and women. He's taken that on. And now he is that forevermore. He's there, ascended at the right hand of the Father, wounds in his hands, hands still pierced. He's still a man. And the Bible says that we are going to be resurrected and glorified. And then the Bible says what happened to us will also happen to the earth. God will restore the earth. You need to think about us and the earth kind of on, on, on parallel tracks. And this sounds strange to some of us because it hasn't honestly been taught that much. Over the last hundred years or so, especially, this subject has kind of receded. Uh, Randy Alcorn talks about this in his book, Heaven. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of us think that heaven is really about floating around on clouds and playing harps and polishing our wings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the Bible actually talks about this quite a bit. In fact, the Bible actually, 700 years before Jesus, we, we have a prophecy about a new heaven and a new earth, that God would make a new heaven and a new earth in the last day. And this is in Isaiah 65, verse 17. The prophet writes, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So this prophecy is already there. God's already laying this out even before Jesus comes. And then, and then Peter, Jesus' disciple, in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, in this discussion about the, the end of time and God's judgment, Peter says this, verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So what, what I'm telling you is this is not like a side peripheral doctrine in teaching. This is a, a key doctrine in the scriptures. It's a key theme that runs through a lot of what the Bible teaches. Uh, One article in the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible, uh, there's an article on the new heaven and the new earth, and this is part of what it says. The new heaven and the new earth is a way of referring to the new creation that will come about at the end of time. This theme of the restoration and recreation of the world is a central aspect of Christian hope. Central aspect. The returning of something, restoration to its original state, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, both of humanity and all of creation, eventually that it will be restored is at the heart of God's plan. This is part of the whole story of the Bible. And it's just fascinating to to see how the Bible consistently connects who we are as human beings to how the earth is. Don't miss that. When we were right... In Eden, the earth was right. And when we fell in sin, and now we're fallen and we're corrupted by sin, so is the earth fallen and corrupted. And then when God makes us new one day, he also will renew and restore the earth. So the Bible teaches that there will be a new earth. The Bible teaches that you will be a new person, resurrected in a resurrected body. The the earth is going to be restored. And, and, And that first earth or that future earth is a lot like the first earth. 
So with all that in mind, what will it be like? Just try to think about it. What will it be like to live here in heaven on a restored, recreated planet Earth? This is heaven. This is real. This is, this is what the Bible teaches about where every Christ follower is going to spend their, their forever and ever. And again, as we've said, I need to keep reminding us, the Bible never teaches that heaven will just be an endless worship service. It, the, the, the Bible points us to what our first parents experienced. See, in a perfect world, what did Adam and Eve experience? Well, they were in a garden. And they had work to do. There was a tree of life, and there were rivers, and there was fruit, and there was food, and animals, and there was peace. There was breathtaking beauty in Eden. There was no death, no shame, no curse, no sorrow, no betrayal, no abuse, no divorce, no disappointment. They had meaningful work to do. Adam was created to work. God made us to be productive. That's how life was when it was perfect there was this intimacy with god and this was a real place a man worked and ate and talked and played he made love with his wife he had long walks with god the god of the universe he saw beauty he felt love there was no there was no concept of sin and see god created us as human beings to be in charge of his creation Tending the garden, ruling over it, extending its territory. And think about what that would have been like for Adam. I mean, Adam had a mind and a heart uncorrupted by sin. Can you imagine how much smarter he was than we are? Can you imagine how much more creative he was than we are? How much more clear he was than anything that any of us have ever known? See, this is the picture the Bible is giving us that sets the stage for understanding what heaven is going to be like. And I just want to sum this first part up with a quote from Randy Alcorn. I love this statement. He says this, you were made for a person and a place. Jesus is that person. And heaven is that place. Amen? Jesus is that person. Heaven is that place. That is so good. Now, with all of this in mind, let's just dive into what it's going to be like, what heaven's going to be like, what it's going to mean for us to be finally home, finally home. First, when I'm finally home, you can write this down, I will know God like I've never known him before. This is the first and foremost truth you must keep in mind. This comes from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. John is writing, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, don't get too hung up on this. I don't have time to go into detail about this. This bums some of us out, like me too. I love the ocean. Let's just don't worry about it, because it's going to be better than we can imagine. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So this, this new heaven, new earth, it's going to be infinitely better in many ways. And this is the first, and this is the best, and this is the most important. Let us be so clear about it. We're going to be with God and know him like we've never known him before. Now the truth is, right now, 
the Bible teaches God is with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's promised us that. But in the new heaven and the new earth, God will be with us in a way we have never known before on earth. You know, the Bible says we now see through a glass darkly, but then we will see him, what? Face to face. 1 John 3, 2 says that when we see him, we will become like him. And because he will take all of our sin completely away, we will see him and experience intimacy with him like we never have before. And keep in mind, this has been God's plan from the beginning. God wants to be with you. Isn't that good news? You know, we all hate rejection, right? It's a central part of our lives so many times, but the good news is there is a God. There is one God, and he is the creator of the universe, and he is infinite, and that God wants you. He wants to be in your life. He will make a way in this perfect earth to be with you. You will be his son. You will be his daughter. You will be with him. He will be with you. Our faith will be sight. God's dwelling will be with men. You know what we have now in the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us is so good, right? I mean, he's with us. He's a gift from God. He loves us. He teaches us. He leads us. He guides us. He's always with us, the Bible says, but isn't it true sometimes we can't tell? Sometimes we're unsure. Sometimes we feel far away from him. Sometimes we're we're not quite clear on what he's telling us. Sometimes we can't figure out what God is doing, and it's kind of confusing, right? Right? And what God's doing sometimes in this world doesn't make sense. Sometimes we get angry at God. But when I'm finally home, one day, that'll never happen again. I will know God's will all the time because he will always be with me. No distance, nothing between me and God. You will be in that place overwhelmed with acceptance and with peace and with love. I mean, just think, just think of any little tiny bit of those things that you've already experienced in this world and then multiply it by infinity and that's what it's going to be like you see god created heaven so he could be with us so we could be with him and i'm going to be talking about a lot of incredible things that we're going to experience in heaven but never forget this truth right here never forget in thinking about heaven being with god is the point amen It's the reason God created heaven and everything else that's good flows out of this reality. Second uh, thing, when I'm finally home, and I'm going to expect an amen on this, my struggle with sin will be done forever. I just wanted to tee that one up for you, okay? I mean, how many of you don't like your past in some way? You just wish it was different? I mean, many of us in this room, and maybe no one else knows all the ways you feel like this, but we feel shame and regret about our past. We have ongoing pain sometimes that comes from our past, but in heaven, the past will be past forever. All the consequences of sin will be taken away forever. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, it's true, it's real today that we live in a broken, corrupted, sin-stained, fallen world. Sin has messed up everything. And it's hard for us even to imagine a world with no hate, no betrayal, no lies, no failure, no abuse, no divorce, no regrets. And you will never again experience the pain of rejection. There will be no more greed or violence or corruption, no more prejudice or racism, no more abuse or neglect, no more bad memories. You will not experience failure ever again. No more fear, no more shame. I mean, just think about how much time and energy we all expend trying to resist temptation. I mean, think about all the emotional energy that just goes into dealing with the consequences of when you didn't resist temptation, right? When you sinned. Or with dealing with the sin in someone else's life that has impacted yours. You see, sin will not only be removed from your life, it will be removed from all of life. I mean, we could go on and on. No more favoritism. No more angry bosses. Bay Area people, how about this one? No more pressure. How about this one? Tracy people, no more commuting. And all God's people said, you know, I was thinking about this, and this will impact some of you here. There will be no need for policemen or lawyers or criminal courts or court systems because there will be no more injustice and no more poverty and there will be no more sex trade, no more crime of any kind. Just try to imagine a society where sin doesn't exist. This is the way life will be in the new heaven and the new earth. And by the way, I have thought about it, and some of you are thinking about it right now. There will be no pastors. <laughs> and I say, amen. Because <laughs> we won't need them, Right? See, death is gone. Sin is gone. The curse has been reversed. You will never need to be afraid. Evil is totally gone. I mean, just think about what your experience is going to be like in this new heaven and new earth when there is no more evil and no more sin. Isn't this what you've all been longing for all your life? And that leads me to actually the third reality. When I'm finally home, God will satisfy all my longings forever forever. Revelation 21, starting in verse 6, says, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, you might circle thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Then contrast verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death, and we'll come back to that. But what's thirst? Well, metaphorically, it has to do with desire. We thirst for life, for relationships. We all have longings, and we we long for things like we have longings for meaning and purpose in life. We long to feel like we we matter. We thirst for significance and thirst for security and thirst for fulfillment. And and the point I want you to see is these are all God-given longings. And have you ever found out in this world that no amount of money or fame or success or beauty or possessions 
ever satisfies those thirsts. Has anybody discovered that yet? Or are you still chasing your thirsts? Are you still pursuing through things that will never satisfy the answers to what you're looking for? And we've all been there, even those of us in Christ, right? I mean, you could think of multiple experiences. You know, you buy a new house, and it's wonderful for like, what, a few months, and then something breaks. <laughs> you buy a new car, and you think, oh, my life will just be what I need it to be, but 90 days later, it's not new anymore, right? I mean, how long does it take for someone scratches your car? Pretty soon you're thirsty again. You go shopping and buy clothes or you go on that vacation that you've always dreamed of. But again, soon you thirst for something more. Here's the reality. When I'm finally home with God in heaven forever, I will know complete satisfaction for every thirst for the first time in all of my life. You will not look at someone else and want what they have. You will never feel inadequate Your longings will be satisfied forever. You'll be satisfied with God, satisfied with yourself. You'll be satisfied with other people. I mean, everything that we're hoping for right now, just think of the thoughts that have been running through your mind this week. I know you're doing this. I know you're thinking like this. If I could just make some more money, some of you. If I was just more healthy, others of you. If I could just get that job. If we just could have a child. Some of you are saying, if we could just have a better child, you know. um, (laughs) If I, could, if I could finally, finally overcome the, the anger and the pain in my heart about that spouse who abandoned me or that parent who abused me. If I could just have more, I could save for retirement. Thirst, thirst, thirst. It just drives us, doesn't it? See, one day God's going to say to you, come and drink. Come and drink. I'm going to fill you up from the inside out in ways that you've always longed for, in the ways that I've made you. But in this fallen world, that's never going to happen. We just thirst. And we all have those plans, right? I mean, if I could just get into that college, and then if I could just get that job, if I could just meet the right person, if I could just get that new thing that will resolve everything, you know, if I owned this, if I knew those people, if I could wear that, you know, some of you are like, I've been, in this, I've been in this gym for five years to get this way. I've had two surgeries, and it's still fading, still dropping. I thought that would be a little humorous, but evidently I struck closer, <laughs> closer to home than I intended. You know, we, we get all these things, but in the end, I still, down deep, don't love me or feel any more worthy, Right? Because no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter who you're with, something is always missing. I love what C.S. Lewis said, and it's amazing all the profound things he said about this subject of eternity. And he said um, in Mere Christianity that all of this is built, that I've even talking about, is built into the human heart by God to remind us that there's something more. And more than that, there is some place more. Here's, here's this quote. He says, think about this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Do you hear that? Have you figured that out yet? Have you gotten off that fruitless, endless chase? 
to satisfy thirst in this world, thirst that will never fully, finally be satisfied. See, Revelation 21 tells us that it is only when the new heaven and new earth arrive that all our longings will be fully satisfied. For the first time, that's going to be your reality. You will never look around and want to be someone else, never compare yourself to someone else, never wish you were like someone else. You're just going to be in this incredible city with people to enjoy, perfect place, it's kind of in passing that he, he says in verse 8 about those who won't be there. He's kind of just saying, the people that rejected me, the people who didn't want the free gift, the people who wanted to go their own way, do their own thing, to sit on their own throne, the people who said, I don't want God telling me what to do. See, one day, God's going to say, okay, to people who say that, you can have your own way. See, God will say heaven is reserved for people who want to receive and experience my love. And for those who don't want that, God, in essence, says, your will be done. He lets them go in the direction they want to go. There's more to say about that. We don't have time this morning, but let's move to the next thing, fourth. When I'm finally home, I will enjoy perfect relationships in a perfect world. Now, back in verse 1 of chapter 21, John says that he sees the new heaven and the new earth. And then in verse 2, he says, I see the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it's this massive and amazing city. And we've all already seen that there's no sea. And, and I'll just make this comment. I mean, I love the sea. I kind of don't understand this. I kind of have a disagreement why there shouldn't be a sea, but God's going to explain this at some point, some way. Um, the sea back then was seen as a dangerous, fearful place. It was a place that people died, so it represented death. It was a place that divided nations. And so uh, it could be that this is kind of metaphorical here. I kind of hope so. Um, but if it's not, God's going to give water. There's plenty of water in heaven, so there'll be other kinds of bodies of water. And, and then this amazing city called the New Jerusalem is unveiled, and there's nothing like it. And I just want this to wash over. You're going to start reading in verse 9. Go all the way to verse 23. It says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high. So he puts him up in a high vantage point of some kind and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And, and now he starts to describe it. Verse 11, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And with 12 angels at the gates, on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And I would just point out, if it's not a physical place, why is he using something to measure it? The city was laid out as a, like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. So he's describing a cube. 
verse 17, he measured the wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement. Another clue that this is a real physical place. Why is he using uh, human standards of measurement, which the angel was using? The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and it, the Lamb is its lamp. I, this is just, this is sprawling, overwhelming, amazing, all kinds of things. We could stay for a really long time, but let me just kind of sum up some of what we're seeing here. And you could go back and read it and just kind of let it wash over you. God is creating this incredible city, staggeringly beautiful, and it's for us, his people, to enjoy. Don't miss that. All of God's people, every redeemed Old Testament, New Testament saint is going to be there. There's just so much here. Uh, John says this city is 12,000 stadia in length, width, and height. What's a stadia? Well, let me just translate the whole thing. It's about 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, and 1,400 miles high. Perfect cube. Which, by the way, just in case you haven't caught on to that, is also a reflection of the original Holy of Holies. Perfect cube. Uh, if it's that big, 1,400 miles on all these directions, that's like from Seattle to San Diego. That's like from... San Francisco out to somewhere in the middle of Kansas. I looked it up. <laughs> it's massive. And if you don't even count the height of the city, just the, just the land mass at ground level, it's 1.9 million square miles, like half the continental United States. Just to put that into perspective, the city of Los Angeles, 503 square miles. New York City, 469 square miles. In other words, it's just this massive, radiant, breathtaking, brilliant city. And, and God takes him up on a high mountain to give him perspective, trying to see it all. It's overwhelming. All these gates, these angels guarding the gates, they're open and never closed because it's a totally secure place. There's no danger. The foundation stones all around, a beautiful, indescribable. It's just this amazing city. And again, like I said, it, God created it for you, his people to enjoy. I mean, think about that. I mean, what do you love about cities? What's your favorite city? You know, in a great city, there's life, there's culture, there's food, right? I mean, there's just so much to do. You know, we used to live, before we came to Tracy, near Chicago. Chicago's an amazing city. I've had the opportunity to be in New York City in Paris. Those are amazing cities. You've been to some incredible cities. I spent a few days four years ago in Mumbai, India. 22 million people. I mean, it was just overwhelming. Incredible city. All the people, unfathomable activity going on. And you just think about the size of this city, as impressive as it is. You're also meant to contemplate all the people that are going to be there. 
the people that we will have the chance to meet and hang out with. We're going to have limitless time in a real city with real people from every era of history. How many of you have stories in the Bible that you just don't get or you just would like to hear more about and you'd like to talk to Moses, you'd like to talk to Elijah, you'd like to talk to Isaiah, maybe you'd like to talk to John the Baptist, maybe you'd like to talk to Paul. We're going to have the opportunity to meet with and get to know all the saints from all time. And you just put all this together. This is the glory and the majesty of heaven. You take your best experience in any city, and what we're going to know there will be infinitely above and infinitely beyond what you can even conceive. This place that God has created and prepared because he loves you so very much. You notice some other details. There's no sun or no moon. That's because heaven's power comes directly from Jesus. The glory of God is all the light heaven needs. In verse 22 of chapter 21, John says there is no temple. He he says that God the Father and Jesus are the city's temple. Remember, the purpose of the temple was what? It was to meet with God. Well, you don't need a temple because God's there. We have immediate access face-to-face all the time. You see, our forever home It's just going to be a place of unending activities, never-ending opportunities, first of all, to get to know God more deeply. Let me clarify something for you. Sometimes people think, I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to know everything there is to know about God. The Bible never says that, okay? We're going to know God as he is. That means more than we do now. But we're not going to become infinite creatures because then we'd be God. And here's what's good about that. You're going to know so much more about God the moment you get there. But God is infinite, which means there is an infinite amount of knowledge of him beyond even what you now know, which means that you will have eternity to get to know the glorious, beautiful, wonderful God. And it's never going to stop. There will always be more. Isn't that, isn't that good? Isn't that awesome to think about? And that's going to be true with all the places that we'll be able to see and explore. That's going to be true at all the people that we'll meet and get to know, hang out with. It's just going to go on and on and on, an infinite number of things to learn and grow, to do, to taste, to touch. God made it for you. I want to point something out maybe you haven't caught. In these, this text, we're, we're told, really, that the new heaven and new earth is more than just this capital city, the new Jerusalem. There's going to be other nations and kings. Uh, I want to give you the last point, and I'll explain this. When I'm finally home, number five, God will provide me with eternal purpose, growth, and adventure. Now, I've kind of already alluded to that in the last moment. But we also see in these chapters of Revelation that a new earth is going to have new nations, And there's therefore going to be commerce and culture, capabilities to serve and love our God. I mean, have you ever thought about that again? I mean, if you've always thought of heaven as this cloud-covered, boring, vanilla place with nothing to do, set that aside. There are nations here. There are kings here. There's this magnificent capital city, New Jerusalem. See, that's the capital of the new heaven and new earth. But if it's the capital, there are other cities, other nations. So it's the whole earth. Where does that come from, you ask? Well, look at verse 24. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations 
will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That sounds like a real earth, doesn't it? Activity. Relationships. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will what? Reign. How long? Forever and ever. See, what's being described here is this. When you're finally home, when you're home, you will be a part of a new earth and there will be nations and there will be commerce and there will be culture. You will serve God the way you were originally intended to serve him. And that doesn't mean you're going to be singing forever, not just in a worship service, but you will be where God made you to be, who God made you to be, using the gifts God gave you to use. You're going to be serving him by what you do. Now, just think about it. If you have nations, you have organization and infrastructure, right? If you have kings, you have roles and authorities and there's jobs. If the glory of nations is being brought into the city, that means there is commerce and there's art and culture. There's music. There's manufacturing. And if you bring these things into the city, that means there are other cities. See, if you serve and reign, there's going to be activities and agendas and an accomplishment. And then this is interesting. If fruit is showing up every month, that means there's time. There's a sense of time. Time is not going to go away. There's not this aimless floating around clouds forever. There's going to be real space and real time because we're there in real bodies. Remember, resurrected bodies. And God says, you're going to reign. You see, God is restoring everything as he originally intended it. God created human beings as his co-regents over his creation. We have the image of God, the imago dei, in us, within us. And in the new heaven and new earth, you will do what you were gifted to do and passionate about. But you'll get to do it without sin, without any limitations, without any mixed motives, without any comparison to other people. And when you do it, you will be doing it in worship to God, which, by the way, is exactly what he wants from us today, how he wants us to live today. Now, why all this? Well, I've been saying it to you several times today. I'm going to say it again. It's because God loves you. Because he loves you. It's because God is good. That's why he, he created you. That's why he saved you. That's why he created such an incredible, magnificent place for you to live forever. I mean, there's so much more here. We could go on and on. But God kind of sums it all up when he says in that phrase, I am making everything new. It's all going to be new. So if all of this is true, and we do believe it is true, then there are three questions, and I'm going to close with this. And the first question is, do you know today 
that you will go to live in this forever home one day? That's the first question. In other words, have you turned from your sin, turned from ruling your own life in repentance? Have you turned in faith and trust and received what Jesus has done on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins? Are you in Christ? Are you following him? Have you given your life to him? God loves you and wants you to be with him forever. He calls you to turn, come to him. Second question, for those of us who are are believers already, do your present priorities and your present passions in life demonstrate that you are focused on eternity or focused on what's temporary? I mean, be honest with yourself. When we talk about things like our time, our talent, our treasures, how we spend our lives, what matters most to us? Is it today or is it forever? And then third question, is there someone, is there someone in your life? And as you're hearing this, one of your first thoughts is, I want them to be with God and with me forever. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago. Who's your one Is there someone in your life that that you are praying for, you need to be praying for, and you're asking God to open a door so you can tell them about God's goodness and God's grace? You see, when we think about home, these are the kind of thoughts that should enter our minds. As I said to you the first week of this series, heaven, understanding heaven, is incredibly relevant incredibly practical because when you get what God says it changes how you live today is it changing you it can starting today if you hear the word of the Lord to you would you bow your heads as we pray together